Hey guys, uh, my name is Davis Red with my friend here, Will Coomer, and we are here at the Greatness Factory uh, with my friend, my man, uh, Coach Bird. Well, we, we are so excited to be here uh, with Coach Bird, just kind of through mutual friends, got to connect. I was actually on one of his webinars. I think it was how to create, do you remember that? It was how to create your own uh, speaking business. Yes. Yeah. A couple months ago, and, and I put in the comments just, you know, if would he be, he was telling everybody, all the viewers, that everybody should have their own podcast, which is true, you're right. And I said, hey coach, in the comments, you, you wanna be my first guest? I said, yeah, of course, email my assistant. So now we're here and we are ecstatic to be here. So coach, thank you. Thank you I've created thank a little you. monster, right? A little bit, a little, little <laughs> like, bit. Yeah, I was doing webinars and I do think if you're gonna be a person of interest, you need to be doing podcasts, you need to be writing books, you need to be doing speaking engagements, you need to be getting in front of people so they can see your abilities, right? And, yeah, and in today's world, podcast is one of the best things you could be doing, which is what I've been doing all afternoon, promotional <laughs> yeah. podcast here. It's one way for me to get my message out yeah, absolutely. and build affinity with people and indoctrinate them to our, our philosophy. So it's all important. Cool, that's awesome. So the first thing, uh, I would just love to hear from you what, what your upbringing was like. What, what, how'd this all start for you? How'd, you? how'd you get to where you are now today? I was, I was raised in a very small town, less than 2,500 people inside the city limits. I was raised, my mother had me when she was 16, my dad was 18, they married for a year and then divorced. I, and, and so I was basically raised by a single mother. And she had a very high prey drive, meaning she went out and got it, she went out and worked, and she worked one or two jobs. And, and, and so she used to take me down to the local baseball field and I would stay down there for hours and hours and hours. And it was a female coach named Mickey Vincent. It was very odd to have a female coach coaching Little League Baseball. She's the only female coach in the whole group. And she fed me and she took care of me and she coached me. And, and I remember her even then saying, son, one of these days, you're gonna be a great coach. Now, years later, I said, why did you think that? She said, you were inquisitive. You're always the first one there. You're always the last one to leave. You're always trying to coach the other kids. So as early as six years old, I was coaching people. 15, I started coaching junior pro basketball. At 18, I was an elementary coach in boys basketball. At 19, I was at the second largest high school in Tennessee, Riverdale. That was when my life changed because I was introduced to Dr. Stephen Covey. And Covey wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, first things first, principle center leadership. And I began to go deeper in this philosophy of building whole people, body, mind, heart, and spirit. So I became, when I became head coach, I'm I'm teaching every player the seven habits of highly effective people. I'm gonna inner engineer them. You guys can understand this because we're going to High Point University. I mean, I was interested in the whole, whole person. Mm. So the more I built the whole person, the more games we won, the more games we won, the more people asked what I was doing, the more people asked what I was doing. I'm like, man, I ain't got time to explain it. I'm gonna start writing books about it. Yeah. And I literally just wrote my first book for other coaches. Yeah. But here's the funny thing, coaches didn't buy it. Business people bought my book. And so business people began to say, will you come over and motivate my people? Will you speak to my people? And that really started my speaking career. So fast forward a few years, I win a championship, which way I see this big gaudy championship ring. And I built this big powerhouse that then went on to win seven more championships after I left. At 31, I retired to build this business. It started as maximum success. It has been renamed to Michael Bird Enterprises. And um, now we have a coaching business where we coach business people all over the world to, to get a lift in their business. So typically try to 40 to 50% in a one year cycle if they're doing it right. And just for anyone young out there listening, when was that first book written? 25 years old. 25 years And old. I had no clue of what I was writing. Okay, matter of fact, we don't even sell that book anymore. I don't even want people buying it <laughs> because I didn't know anything. I mean, and you know, I think a lot of people's first book is really bad just because they don't know, which is why you need to write the second one. Yeah. 
And the third one, <laughs> I went to a conference once with John Maxwell, a publishing conference about how he wrote, writes books. He has a writer that writes all of his books, okay? And Charlie Wetzel is his name. So he comes up with the concept, he writes it up a little bit, hands it to Charlie Wetzel. Wetzel writes the books, Maxwell promotes the books, and he gave all of us a copy of his very first book. And he said, I want every writer, every aspiring writer in this room to, to, to have a copy of my first book to show you that you can write a terrible first book <laughs> and still sell 60 million copies. Yeah. Right? Like, I thought that was impressive. The same thing with me. My first book was very average. Second book got better. My third book, This Ain't No Practice Life, was really a, a good book. Mm -hmm. And now the new book I have out is called The Accountable Church which is for churches on how to remain dynamic versus static. I think that's one of my better books. And uh, Everybody Needs a Coach in Life is really my life's work. How, how has your writing like that improved with, is it, is it just kind of naturally or is it with each book you have a new perspective um, Both. on writing it? I right. think working a muscle, you improve the muscle. I think I'm clear in my thoughts today. I'm clear in my philosophy or my beliefs. And now I'm sharing those beliefs in a more consistent manner. Cool. And I'm attracting people back to me that believe the same things I do. No. And that's kind of the concept of the accountable church. Um, my pastor urged me to write that book because he asked me to coach him a few years ago. And in preparation for coaching him, I studied the fastest growing churches in the United States. And I found a statistic that really prompted me to write the book. Uh, 10,000 churches close their doors every year in the United States. They can't get people to come. They can't get people to come. There's no tithing. When there's no tithing, there's no money. When there's no money, they can't expand. So what I said is how do you build something dynamic that people want to come to? A church is just a structure, right? The university high point would not be valuable unless people went to it. It don't matter how nice the buildings are. So the concept is build something people are attracted to. That's hard. It's hard in today's yeah. world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who, growing up, who, you said Covey, was there anybody besides him that you, that you studied that you kind of researched and looked after and looked up to like that? Covey was my guy. I didn't get involved in the personal development movement until I was 18. I didn't read a personal growth book. Um, what happened is I was in an honor society uh, called uh, the National Beta Club. And I became a national officer in the Beta Club. And when I did, the national officers got to go to a leadership academy in North Carolina called the Broyhill Leadership Academy. And that was a game changer for me because I got on a plane, flew to North Carolina, stayed a week with other kids. I was scared to death. I'd never really been away from home, but that week, that has inspired me to want to do something like that at my lodge for kids because it was such a game changer for me in my life. The other kids didn't get to go to that leadership academy. So when I came back to my little high school, I felt confident. I felt advanced. I felt like I had access to information other people didn't have access to. That was, that was a game changer for me. So just talking about that, you have this experience that sets you apart from everyone else. Um, could you elaborate maybe more on not just this, um, that specific example, but what else you feel um, you can do? Um, someone, you know, maybe in college, coming out of high school, or someone, you know, a little older, 30s, 40s, um, what they can do right now to set themselves apart. Well, let's take the college student, for example. When I was a high school basketball coach, I had a program called Life After Basketball. And I would ask my players, tell me what you think you would like to, to do when you grow up. And they would come up with nurses, doctors, lawyers, basketball coaches. And I would go, okay, we're going to spend a whole evening with a person in our community that does that. We're going to prepare 10 questions for them, hard questions. 
What's the worst day look like of your job? How much money do you actually make, right? Here's what's interesting. 80% of the kids after those interviews and that night decided they didn't want to do that for a living. People that thought they wanted to be nurses didn't want to be nurses. People that thought they wanted to be this. Here, here's the deal. So, so let me take that to college. I believe that the young professional, the, one of the best things you can do is what you guys are doing right now. Get around successful people. Interview them. Talk to them. Intern for them. And if I write a book for, for your age demographic, it's, it's simple. The title's already picked. Go for the mentor over the money. Yeah. Imagine if I got to go work under Dr. Covey for a year. Imagine if you got to shadow Nito Cobain for a year. Imagine if you got to be in every conversation he had, listening to real estate deals and how he, his mindset thinks. So my point is the 18 to 25 year old needs to be focused on one thing. Who is the best mentor for me right now? What, if, like my daughter, like fast forward to when my daughter's 18. I will pay for her to go learn under the best people in the world. If she comes to me, like she's on this horse riding kick. She, she believes she wants to be a professional horse rider. She calls a professional horse riding champion. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, who's the number one horse riding person in the world? Right. That's who I would pay my daughter to learn under. So if universities don't shift and they continue to pump out people that are not entrepreneurially minded, what's gonna happen is the high point universities are gonna win, but what's really gonna happen is privatized education. Like where, where parents would pay me the 40,000 or 50 or 100,000 for their kid to work under me for four years. That, that's where I see education going. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what have you seen is, is a personal question, partly, but what have you seen in your, in your coaching of professionals, of business people, is your most effective strategy to lift someone or, or raise someone out of their complacency? Because okay. we all each every day, we, yeah. we just kind of live in our bubbles, whether we realize it or not, we, we don't stray too far out or, or do anything that puts us at risk too much because that's our survival instinct. Right. We don't want to. So. I want to use a term here called prey drive. And prey drive is prevalent in animals, specifically dogs. Dogs have a prey drive. It is their instinctual inclination to find something and go get it. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Now, if that prey drive is activated, that dog is like a little killing machine. Like it's, right? I believe humans have prey drive. For many people, it has not been activated. So, so you would say, so when you study every motivation theory in the world, basically we are motivated um, from a physiological standpoint, a biological standpoint to move toward things we need, we want. If I'm thirsty, I move toward this water. If I'm hungry, I go looking for food. If I'm lonely, I go looking for companionship. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like, like physiologically, we move toward. Now here's, the, here's where complacency comes in. If all of my needs are met, my motivation dissipates, which is why people become complacent. I got a good house, I got a good husband, I got a good wife, I got a good kid, I go to a good job, I make a good amount of money. Now I've got no drive, now I've got no prey drive to go get anything. Big time people know how to activate their prey drive. Some of them create art, like I create games versus myself. Yeah. Competitions versus myself. Think, things that will motivate me. I put a big goal up in front of me that I push toward. I never allow myself to get complacent. Okay, because I'm constantly pushing. Well, a good coach is a specialist at activating that prey drive in people. And I could give you, we could set it for the next hour and I could give you examples of people in my coaching program that were doing this, then they got coached and now they're doing this. And it is a game changer.
I'm right. talking the, the difference between making this amount of money and this amount of money. Yeah. This success level, this success level. So I really want to be the number one activator of prey drive in the world. Cool. I believe at 43, I've spent my whole life preparing for this. And I believe when, when, we, it, when it comes down to brass tacks of what we do for people, beyond help them make more money and get more sales, I believe we activate the prey drive in people like you can't imagine. Yeah, yeah and, and like you talked about, you going to Houston each month yes. and you still feel great. Yeah, at 43, you've only lived a half your life. That's exactly At this right. point I'm just in, in our world today, exactly. He's got at least 100. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna live to 120 years old. The workout yeah, like he works out, I mean, yeah. If I keep taking those Hosey vitamins, I may live to 200 years old. Right, Who right. knows? Uh, <laughs> <don't go> <laughs> Unstoppable, man. Um, and just so kind of tying it um, back along to what you mentioned before, um, did you find yourself maybe in those earlier years, 16, 17, 18, maybe in a complacency zone? Or um, how did you find your personal page? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was complacency, it was uh, ignorance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a, in a small town and they didn't talk to us about these things, yeah. man. They didn't teach personal development. They didn't have life after basketball programs. They didn't try to grow us personally. So I've, I look back in my life and I had this drive in me Primarily, I think, because my mother instilled it in me. I had this high prey drive, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know, right? So I, so I had a spike at 25, 25 to 30, I showed a significant uptick. Uh, I think at 35, I showed another big uptick. And now at 43, I think I have an intensity about me that I haven't had. That's a new gear yeah. that I'm finding. So, so to me, when I get low on prey drive or feel complacent, what I do is I go get around. Like I was flying on my, on my you know, plane today, and uh, being out there on the runway flying on a private jet will, motive, will activate your prey drive yeah. because it makes you think bigger, man. It just, it, it expands your mind. It, it, there's something about it that just gets you operating at a new frequency, yeah. especially if you've never been on one before, yeah, especially absolutely. if you fly Southwest. Uh, yeah. I've been on every plane you can imagine, man, every sure. size. And, uh, and <laughs> listen, if you be on enough planes, it don't matter how nice they are. You, 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 you crave something else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah you, not, you got to. And so you've mentioned both your mom and uh, Covey as well. And then as we talk about more people like at High Point University, we have uh, the privilege to be under Neil Cabane. Yep. Um, and there's of course many other mentors and uh, mm -hmm. both popular figures on social media and yourself talk about it, like guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, mm -hmm. um, Grant Cardone, Ty Lopez. Mm -hmm. They all talk about finding the mentor. Mm -hmm. um, so what advice would you give about um, finding yep. a mentor and, and steps you can take towards um, maybe meeting, um, having, building a mentor, well, I mean, relationship? Well, I mean, you guys are, you, it, it, here's what's interesting. You asked for the meeting and you got the meeting, yeah. right? How many people out there may want to talk to me, but they never reach out to me? They Not never drive from Birmingham. They never, like I used to use my podcast to talk to the best people on the planet. Yeah. That's where I met Cardone. Inter what's where I interviewed Cardone? It's where we became friends after I interviewed him on my podcast. But I followed up with him, which is what a lot of people will never do. Yeah. They do the podcast, they never follow up. So when it comes to finding a mentor, at different times in my life, I had different mentors. From 18 to 25, it was Covey, right? Then from 25 to 30, it was somebody else. Then, I, then Dan Sullivan was one of my coaches from 30 to 35. Then, then Cardone has been incredibly influential in my life because I'm... I'm I've been a coach my whole life, not a salesperson, but I've had to become a great marketer. I've had to become a great promoter. I don't resonate as much with Vaynerchuk. I've tried. Uh, I, li I think what he's done is amazing. I just don't have a personal, there's certain things he does I resonate with, some things I don't resonate with at all. I, and I resonate with a guy like Nito Cobain. I resonate with uh, Cardone. I resonate with, um, 
just by watching people like Brad Lee, who's a friend of mine, or Tim Story, or Tim Grover. You know, these are all guys that I have come, and I'm friends with now. You know, I wasn't friends with them years ago. Yeah. 10X changed everything for me, guys. Because yeah. 10X, for some reason, um, added some legitimacy to my career that I needed. Yeah. And it opened me up to an international market. Yeah. And I became friends with all these people. Ed Milet, Tim Story, Tim Grover, yeah. all those folks. Cool. Cool. So what, in, in, in doing that, in being in envi environments like that, as, as your career has progressed, what, what have you found your, what was your passion? What is your passion now today? I think, I think at the core of my passion is still coaching people. It's, I'm, I'm like a Saban. I'm very motivated by the Multi. process. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, if sir. you ever study Saban, and there's a great book about him called The Making of a Coach, mm -hmm. Uh, he, he, he seems almost unhappy when he reaches his goals. Yeah. Now you wonder why. It's because that ain't, that ain't what he's after. Yeah. What gets him going, what activates his prey drive is the process. And that is an activator for me. When we reach a big goal, I, I, it, it really doesn't do it doesn't even phase me. Yeah. It's like, okay, what's the next because, goal? Because you've reached it, and so what, what's what, 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 this, It's in the past now. Yeah, yeah. So I know that's hard for a lot of people to understand because I don't do a lot of rah-rah, and I don't, it, but my nature is, okay, we got it, we conquered it, let's go conquer something else. Yeah. Every day is about pursuit of something. Mm -hmm. I'm more motivated by the pursuit. Like, I was more motivated by the pursuit of winning a championship than actually winning the championship. Yeah. When I won it, I was like, okay, yeah. what's next? Yeah. You know, what, what, exactly. what, what's next? One of my favorite shows is The West Wing. And I wind down to that show all the time, and, and, and the president's Jed Bartlett, which is Martin Sheen, and man, he's so good. And they accomplish something, and here's what he says, what's next? Yeah. That's the very first question. Like, okay, good. We deal with the problem, what's next? We had a success, what's next? I think, I think a lot of coaches, so I'm still very motivated by the pursuit of becoming a national or international person. Like my mentor was Covey. I want to be the, the modern day Covey. I want to be the next Covey. Yeah. Cool. That That's motivates awesome. me. Yeah. Well, he didn't, that wasn't scripted at all. He didn't know I'm an Alabama fan. It's just, that's just <laughs> how, how could you happens. not be an Alabama fan? You're right, you're right. Go Bucks. Easy. I mean, how, how, could you, how could you not respect a guy like Saban? Oh, absolutely. How could you not, you know, and there's other people that are world-class too. We're seeing that, whether it be Dabo yeah. Sweeney at Clemson. I love Dabo the, the, These people are world-class people. Yeah, absolutely. They know how to activate prey driving people. Yeah. They know how to, to, to get people ready. But if you had a kid, if you had a son that was wanting to play in the NFL, there's nobody better to prepare him than Saban. Yeah. So, so how to you do those coaches, do those leaders influence or, or carry off their, their impact, their prey drive like that to all those around them? They're, they're at the top of the whole structure yeah. and they give it down to their players, to the assistant coaches, to everybody, everybody I, in the, in I, the. Okay. That's a great question. When you think about prey drive, I want you to think activation, uh, persistence, intensity. Those are three parts of prey drive. A lot of people can activate it for a small period of time. These big time people that you see have an engine like you can't imagine. Like, like Grover wrote the book Relentless after working with Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And what he said is, man, these dudes are relentless. Like it's scary how relentless they are. They're cleaners. They're cleaners. Yeah. Now, what I see is, is the more work I do with these big time people, these are people that are, that are worth hundreds of millions of bucks. They're all cleaners, man. They have engines, they have mindsets, they have a toughness, they have a, a prey drive that is very hard to instill in people. It's like some people have something you can't put in them and you can't take it out of them. All I can do with my team is create an environment where when people are around me, they want to give their best effort. I'm not having to police them 
and manage them. They want, they, like being around me, I hopefully activates them wanting to be their best. Um, what, what I, I know you're, I believe you're a Christian man. Um, what, so one of my favorite examples of biblical leadership that I think is leadership, of course, can come from different perspectives, is David, looking at David, how he is called into the house um, to be blessed as the future king of Israel, and then he just goes back out into the field yeah. to, to work and to tending yeah. his sheet and fighting off lions and bears. Yeah. What, do you have a, a biblical your favorite biblical example of leadership that you go to often? You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of ones. One of, my favorite, one of my favorite ones that I've been using la lately is when Jesus commissions the disciples to go from city to city and share the message. I like the message Bible. I, I, I like reading different interpretations. One of the interpretations says, you don't need any fancy equipment. You are the equipment. That's the first thing, because I hear people in today's world go, I don't have this, and we don't have that, and we don't have this, we don't have this. Like, like what he's saying is you don't need any equipment. You are the equipment. Then he says, if you share the message with them and they don't respond to it, just shake the dust off your sandals and keep on moving. He doesn't say whine, pout, complain, feel sorry for yourself. To me, based on what I do for a living, teaching people this. We, we don't whine, we don't complain, we don't make excuses. We don't need any equipment. We don't need any fancy stuff. All we need is us and a phone to go do it. That's the mindset you gotta do, right? Then, then the message, if, they, if, if, if there is no such thing as rejection, if they don't want it, shake the dust off your sandals and keep on moving. That's one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I like the parable of the talents. I like, um, there's one verse I call Jesus, 12 disciples, two women, and a business manager. Yeah. And, and they're going from city to city spreading the gospel. You, you know what I'm saying? And it says, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and the disciples. Why would, why would a person contribute of their own resources, time, money, energy, influence, if, if that person hasn't done anything for them? Like, that's a great sales lesson, too. That's where referrals are. Yeah, absolutely. You contributing to my, my mission would only happen because I did something for you that you would contribute to my mission. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a great, that's a great story in the Bible. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. And I think just to uh, really focus on that right there, um, something that's huge for everyone. And as a young person, uh, you see this huge, <coughs> pardon me, uh, emphasis on materialistic goals. Yes. And, <coughs> wow. If I can uh, talk here, yeah, I understand. Uh, materialistic goals and chasing, you know, the Lamborghini, the Ferrari. Yeah. Talk about giving. Uh, <coughs> wow, um, giving in that impact that it actually has for one's life and chasing. Well, right, so that's a, good, that's a good point. <coughs> and if it makes you feel better, I got choked on a podcast the other day, and I couldn't even talk for like 15 <coughs> minutes. For 15 minutes, I was like trying to talk, and I was coughing. It was great. Um, the the we live in a world where people are more interested in looking good than being good, okay? We live in a world where people associate having expensive things with success. And I'm not opposed to that. I have a jet, I, I, I ride on a $100,000 Mercedes Sprinter to and from events, but, but, but I'm still a frugal, I would tell you I'm a frugal person. I don't waste money, I, I only spend money on things that I think can help us make money. Does that make sense? I use Which the jet is, to make money. Yeah. I use the bus to make money. I use the houses to make money. So, so I think you can turn every liability into an asset. Now, having said that, just because a person stands in front of a Lamborghini or even purchases a Lamborghini does not mean 
they're, they're that good at what they do. Some of them are, right? Some of them are that good. But, but I just want to disassociate these two concepts. We live in Tennessee. You don't see any Lamborghinis in Tennessee. Not in, not in, not in Mer- where I live. Like I was joking earlier on the podcast, Escalades are what we see around here. Those are high-end vehicles here. So I think, I think what you got to do is, as a young person, you got to be more interested in being good versus looking good. Because what will happen is you'll end up in a false reality believing that you're going to skip a step. You're going to go from, I want to go from here to driving a Lamborghini. But what you forgot to do is spend a decade building a skill. Like you're missing an ingredient. Like too many people today. I could give you examples today of people trying to tell other people to do things they've never done themselves. And people are buying it. Yeah. Like people are coaching people. And I'm like, like I had a dude the other day said, here's what I do. I help people speak for a living to make money. And, I, and I've got, and I'm like, do, have you, are you, do you speak for money? Like do people pay you to speak? Well, kind of, somewhat. Like, like I don't think you're qualified to tell people how to speak for money until you've spoken for money. I don't think you should go for, to an unhealthy doctor. I don't think you should go to a broke financial advisor. I don't think you should, right? I think you need to really check under the hood yeah. and, and what people have actually done if, they, if they're helping you do something. So, so you're focusing on that was, was young people. How does the younger generation, I guess, shift those values from wanting to look like they have done this to knowing that they need to put the 10, 15, 20 years of, yeah. of work to earn those things. I think, I think you have, need to have a proper grasp of reality. To master anything, it typically takes 10 years of dedicated practice to something with correction, with a coach, and it's deliberate practice. Like you, you could do something for 10 years and still suck at it. You, 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 you need to be in an environment where you're, <coughs> where you're getting correction, where you're doing something and there's correction and you're learning and you're enhancing and getting better. That's why the concept of the mentor over the money is so critical. The right mentor will show you how to make the money. Go back to, to Think and Grow Rich. What did he do? I mean, he spent years and years studying successful people and not monetizing it, only to figure out what the wealthiest people do. How valuable would it be to know what the wealthiest people in our society do? How did they do it? Let me tell you something. There is no easy money before there's hard money. Unless you inherited it, every single person that's doing significant things in the world has a hard skill that they've spent decades mastering. That's the truth. Sure. Cool. And going off of that, um, you know, once again, tying it to a young person, uh, if someone who may be interested in executive work, um, you talk about, you know, mentor over the money, um, finding this coach, how soon would you say someone could, could or should start with a coach? Right now. Right away. The biggest regret I have, I did not have a business coach from 20 to 30. I had people coaching me on how to be a better coach. But I, it wasn't a paid relationship. And I think you need to pay the person coaching you. Not because I'm a coach that gets paid. I, I think when you, when you go to people for guidance and mentor and they mentor you, but you don't pay for it, maybe you do it, maybe you don't do it. I think it needs to be a formal relationship, like a trainer. Like, like you're paying a trainer to get you in better shape. So I, I'm a big believer that you should start having a coach right now. You should have a business coach right now coaching you. If I had had a business coach from 20 to 30, there is no telling where I would be at 43. I didn't know the difference between an asset and a liability when I was 31 years old. Why should I? I was a basketball coach. I was a high school basketball coach, right? So, so imagine yeah. if somebody came along and said, man, kid, you got all this talent. Let me coach you. Let me show you how to go take this and monetize it. No. There's so many people out in the world that don't know how to monetize a concept. No. So off that, what did, I know I've heard in your podcast or read uh, for you before, what did your, in, in that 20 to 30 range, what did your first business coach 
uh, first teach you that, that revolutionized everything you saw, that revolutionized everything yeah. you did. That's, I went to Achievers Circle. This was a guy named Mark LeBlanc, and he came around to came around to our city here, and he would host an, a two to three day event called, called an Achievers Circle, and he would teach us how to build a, a business, selling systems, how to get attention, how to market yourself, and at the end, he would pass around, literally pass around a hat and you put into the hat what you thought the value was to your business. I think I put in 500 bucks and I thought it was a fortune. The dude beside me put 15,000 in. And I tried that once, not pay me up front and then, and then put the money in. The problem is I, I attracted a lot of cheap people and they put like 25 bucks in. Or maybe I was only worth 25. But my point, my point is that catapulted my business career because now I had a true business coach showing me how to acquire customers, how to follow up, how to work a selling system. And he wrote a little book called Small Business Success. Man, it was impactful. That dude really impacted my life. And I just want to re reiterate this for um, our listeners. Just you, everyone just heard him say, he has a private jet now at age 43. Between the ages of 20 and 30, if he had a coach, he has no idea like where he could be right now. And for those hearing, for those who you know hear the cliche or whatever it may be, where it's you know 10, 15, 20 years that you have to put in, just think if you have a coach, how much faster that process Absolutely. could be. That it's accelerator. Look where you can be with a coach. Um, if you don't want to do the 10, 15 years, obviously you still have to put in the yeah. work. Yeah. But with a coach. It's so much faster. They asked Robert Greene. Robert Greene wrote the book Mastery, Laws of Human Nature, 48 Laws of Power. Um, they asked him, is there any secret to mastery? Is, how can you speed up mastery? Here's what he said. If you're asking that question, you ain't interested in it. But if I gave credit to one thing that could speed up your mastery, it's who's coaching you. Because if you study under the right people, they can cut off years of your life. I think we could take a small business owner, give them the right coaching, activate the prey drive, teach them how to acquire customers, how to follow up, how to extract referrals, how to become people of interest. We'd cut off three or four years of their life of, of learning the hard way. Yeah. That's the value of a coach. Yeah, cool, sweet. So what, kind of shifting gears a little bit, what do you think in your, in your life, in your career, even maybe just while you're, you've been in business, what do you think is the most important or the most powerful mistake mm. you have ever made? Lack of focus on customer acquisition. Lack of focus on new money every day. The purpose of the business is to generate new money. Too many people get, they major in the minors. They focus on everything else except creating customers. What you should be focused on is getting new people in the door. What you should be focused on is becoming a person of interest. Becoming known in the world. This is a huge mistake. Listen, I was with people today, successful people that have got a high volume right now in their business. They're doing loans are you know they're basically consumer loan people very successful because the market's good yeah. every one of them said none of them are doing anything to get any new customers the customers are coming in what's going to happen is when the market rates shift when when people quit buying homes when whatever happens these people are going to be stuck with no business coming in because they're saying i don't have time to get any new customers the whole day should be spent around getting customers yeah. and too many businesses don't do that yeah. We, we could go over to Red Robin over here, Burger Joint, and ask them how many people they called today to get in the Red Robin. They ain't called nobody. What, what if, what if they, then, they, then the manager says, night numbers were low today. Not enough people came in and gave them burgers. 
You know why? Because nobody was trying to get them in the door. This is a big mistake for a lot of business people. So, so I, know, <coughs> I know you've talked about your, your selling systems before. Um, your legacy systems yep. is the one I've heard before. Can you please explain that to us? Uh, to yeah. The so, so when you come into the day, if we know the purpose of the business is to generate a customer, there should be dedicated time to doing nothing but customer acquisition, getting new customers. What I have done is I said, hey, we need to be calling on new people every day. Let's call that the hit list. We need to be trying to close people that were working that, are, that have indicated interest in our services. Let's call that the farm club. We need to be uh, taking our new customers and trying to get them to be net promoters of ours. Let's call the new customers net promoters. We need to be taking current advocates or pr uh, promoters and turn them into advocates. Let's call them the top 25. And what I begin doing, based on the work of Mark LeBlanc, who influenced me, I begin putting these categories together. And I begin calling this the legacy selling system. Legacy because about deep, meaningful relationship. And every day when I come in, if you see my planner, it's mapped out. This on my hit list, this in my farm club, this in my top 25, and I'm working that system. My sales team is working that system. So I can hold them accountable to that system. Most people do not have a customer acquisition system. They sit and they wait on things to happen. And let me let you in on a little secret. It ain't happening. Yeah. And it ain't gonna happen, okay? Unless you just have a product that is so in demand that people will run in there to get it. And, and some people do. We do not. It's, it's few and far we have to yeah. promote and push. I have to do podcasts. I have to do marketing cycles. We, I create a product or an idea. I have an idea, I create a product. Then I go to the sales team and I say, let's develop a hit list for this product. Now let's call these people and try to explain our value to them. Then if they're interested, they go to the farm club. Let's go seven touches to close them, right? Then once they become a customer, let's do a great job with them. Let's do a great job with them. Let's try to move the ball down the field for them. Then if we do it right, they're gonna become one of our advocates, which is gonna send, send us more more prospects, more hit list people. So, so how often are you and your, your sales team referring back to clients that have bought from y'all to check up just like on the Red Robin example? That's a great question. We try to do that every day. Now we have I don't know, anywhere between 700 and 1,000 people we work with a month, which on the grand scheme of things is a lot, but not a lot. Uh, imagine a person has 200,000 customers. So we are in talks right now with a, a, a group in St. Louis that would provide touches weekly touches to our clients, conservation of the client, even customer acquisition, and they may give us 30 or 40 people. We may be making thousands of phone calls a day. There's only so many phone calls two or three people can make. Okay, so, so to me, once we get a customer, we need to be engaging with that customer on a consistent basis. I believe the salesperson has an obligation <coughs> once they sell a person to engage with that person if they want to keep getting a commission because if they stop paying, the salesperson stops getting paid. Sure. So what I guess my next, my next question, um, as we're kind of getting to the end here, is what do you want the, the legacy for your life, for your career to be? That the, is it that you leave behind a, a Covey-type legacy that you talked about, that you studied, that you are read about for years to come? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And very few people ask me that question, so thank you for asking me. I think I'm, I'm getting to the point in my life that I think about my legacy. What, what, like, like I have a legacy where I coached. They won seven more championships after I left. I was the one that spent 10 years building it to set it up. I think now my legacy is the number of people I help. I think I will go to my grave saying everybody needs a coach in their life. I think that is my life's work, my life's mission. And so, and I'm, I'm I, you know, in Proverbs it says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And I think I wanna, I wanna set my daughter up to be successful 
and and how so she can get this. I'm trying to instill these principles in her. So in that a part a part of that I guess is what is the favorite product audio book you've you've ever produced of all of all your years in, in coaching in doing what you're doing. What's been your favorite? I would have to say my life's work is in everybody needs a coach in life. I think, and that's on audio audible book form. I think that book can become your coach. I think if you never met me or that you can you can take that book and you can you can use it to guide you. I think my work on the accountable church can become impactful work for the church world, the spiritual world, because I do think churches are going to find are having issues with this. So now we're doing stuff for pastors. You know, we're about to coach pastors in a few weeks, and uh, I, I think that can be meaningful. Maybe it can affect people that I didn't know it affected to build something dynamic. So, so what is of the of the content you are producing today? Obviously, Accountable Church is, is focuses yep. towards churches, but who is your ideal focus of clientele? Who, yep. who are you working? And, and I will tell you too, the Accountable Church is written for churches, but the reality is, I have my team read it. It's not a book about just being a Christian. It's really a book about building something dynamic. This is a structure. A church is a structure. Okay? So I, I would encourage business people to read it for that for how you communicate with people and build something dynamic. That that's that's what I would tell people. I'm writing a book, Single Digit Millionaire, that's almost finished. I want to come back and write a book on Pray Drive because I think that's a, a universal concept. I mean I'm working through concepts while I'm creating products, while we're having coaching programs, while I'm going around the world. Um, you know, while I'm trying to, 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 to do it, man, every day I'm just getting up and I'm just doing it. Some days it works better than others. <laughs> so, so how to, to that exact point, obviously planners help. How do you most, I mean, I was talking to you before we started recording, how do you most or best manage your time for all that? For there, everything you're doing? There is a high value of my time and a low value of my time. And I think when you think about high value, one of the highest values of my time in today's world is promotion. I had a guy yesterday that was interested in my coaching summit. Says so he's been watching me on videos for a year, year and a half. He knew every single thing I'd ever done, right? So, so was I was that promotion when I was doing that? Of course it was. So I have a high value of my time as the owner of this company, helping create customers, helping do things, and there's a low value of my time. So I think the way I manage my time is I pick, put the big rocks in first. That's an old Covey concept. I put the big rocks in first, man. What's the most important things to me? Then I spend time in those areas. And I let me tell you a big one. I say no to drama. I don't have any time to get involved in drama with people. I don't have any time to to, to tolerate drama. Like I, I got too many big things to do to mess with that. So I use a saying from one of my buddies said is we don't major in the minors. We don't major in the minors. We focus on the big rocks. To, to that point, talk about Covey. Um, what, what do you think of his concepts of um, sharpen the saw and how to synergize for a team? I think syner Sorry, synergy is a hard concept for people to get. Synergy is about the combination of talents, interdependency. We move from dependency to interdependency, uh, excuse me, from dependency to independent to interdependency in our lifetime. I'm at a point in my life, I'm interested in collaboration. I'm interested in, in not competing with people, but collaborating with people. All of them, Cardone, Milet, Brad Lee, Tim Grover, Tim Story. I'm interested in us all doing the, something together. The little together. ones, yeah. The little ones, yeah. The little up and coming dudes like you guys. I mean, Nito Kubain, I mean, that guy's a hero to me. Um, so I'm interested, I have come to realize, this is in the last year, all the opportunity we're looking for is in and through connections to other people. This podcast you guys have got are going to reach people I would have never reached. It's going to reach a demographic maybe I never reached. So, so I'm open to that. 
So I think I think that's that's what my focus is on is how do I come in every day? Sharpening the saw is about getting better. It's about every day working on the body, the mind, the heart, and the spirit. Every day I need to be doing something for my body. Every day I need to be renewing my mind. I need to be renewing my heart. I need to be renewing my spirit. That's sharpening my saw. Thank you, Ian. So as we've reached our 40 minutes, uh, how can the people listening, how can they connect yeah. with you? Instagram, social media, yeah, Instagram, I think is a great place because you get to see what I'm doing every day. I try to show people what I'm doing versus tell people. So today you see me fly to Indianapolis, get on the plane, do the deal, coach people, get back here. And I got a night session tonight uh, that's coming up in just a little bit. I, I, you know, Instagram at Michael Burt, I do spell it, or my mother did spell it, M-I-C-H-E-A-L. So if you're looking for that, it's a little bit different. Coach Michael Burt's who you're looking for. You can find me on YouTube, thousands of videos on YouTube. And I'm constant. We'll put the, we'll put all this stuff up. We just constantly put it up. Uh, so, or CoachBurt.com. I will say this, all of my books are 10 bucks right now, which is crazy. If you want to get a book, this is the best time in the world. Listen, and Amazon can't even beat me on these prices. <laughs> so you go to CoachBurt.com. Well, listen, we've almost sold out of every book that I've got. We dropped it to 10 bucks. <clears throat> and it's first a promotion, like for a day or two. I'm like, just keep them all at 10 bucks, man. We just want the book in people's hands. We want connections. We don't want the money. We want access. So the point is, would you rather have a billion dollars or would you rather have a billion friends? That's a powerful concept. That's what one of, one of the guys I follow, maybe Gary, maybe Gary Vanshaw, mm -hmm. talks about how many people show up at your funeral. Yes. It's not about how much money you make. It's yeah. how many people, how many friends you have, how many people truly care about you. So I love that. Man, I went to some funerals. There wasn't many folks there. Yeah. We and all it's have. sad. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's sad because I think if you help a bunch of folks and you, and you get out of being selfish, you, you devote a lot of your life to the advancement of other people, you get lost in their dreams, then, then, then you're going to impact a bunch of people.